Today we're starting a new sermon series as we uh, move into the month of July. We're starting a new sermon series called The Invitation to Transformation. Um, and um, I'd like to kick things off as we start this new, uh, new series with asking you a question. So here's the question that kind of I want you to hold over the next, today, over the next few weeks uh, in your mind, something maybe you've thought about before. But if there is something that you wanted to change about your life, what would that be? Could be one thing, could be two things. You know, what comes to mind? Um, be a good question if you have a small group you're part of to talk about, maybe a topic of discussion on the way home. But, you know, first thought, you might, something that come to mind, it might be something physical. Like, for example, for me, obviously I've been hobbling along with my ankle. And then, in addition to that, to add insult to injury, as people were coughing on me on the plane and bumping into me and sneezing and wiping themselves and, you know, like, <laughs> uh, they're, okay, that, maybe I crossed the line there. I wasn't referring to what you thought I was referring to. Um, but anyway, I, it's kind of gets, I got a little sick. That's just what happened. I get sick and often when I go to Bolivia, that's what happens. And this time it was an airplane situation where, you know, it wasn't, wasn't the best and I stayed up 24 hours. So for me, it's pretty obvious. I want to be better. I want to feel better. I want to have my energy back. I want to get over the cold. I want my ankle to be better. So if you're fe maybe you're feeling physically uh, a little under the weather, whatever it is, you probably want to change that. that, that that's pretty obvious. So if, whenever you're suffering physically, you're feeling, it's a pretty easy question to answer. Um, and a lot of people I know, a lot of people here I've uh, I've talked to, perhaps there's a situation at work, like you're in a work situation that might not seem to be the best, most ideal situation, a lot of, lot of stress every single day, maybe you're not feeling fulfilled or connected at work, you feel like you want to change your job, or you don't have a job, or you want a, a new job, and that's something you say, man, I really need a change in my life that way. So I think a lot of us can relate in that regard. However, I want to talk about a different kind of change, and you might... Uh, you might consider them inward changes, changes that are a little bit more difficult to make. It's a little bit different than getting your hair cut or getting some goop on your, on your ankle to make you feel better. It's the changes that are inside ourselves, inside what we might call our hearts or our minds, the inner being, the person that makes us who we are as people. Things like becoming a more patient person with the people who are knocking into you on the airplane or becoming a more trustful person when it seems like you're uh, your Bolivian driver is going to drive off the cliff and you're not sure what's going to happen the next time, which is that's a whole other story for another time. Or you might want to, as Ben had mentioned earlier today, the sensing, the sensitivity of living without fear or anxiety. I mean, so many people I know, including myself from time to time, just live with this constant anxiety about the future, about your job, about your physical health, about your family members or friends or whatever it is. It can be debilitating. The things that drive who we are, that really who we are, are not the things on the outside, it's on, on the inside. I mean, even yesterday, people from different, uh, different nations, different religions, no matter who you are, the things on the inside are ultimately what are most important. In my conversation at a party uh, last night, I was speaking to a guy who comes from a Buddhist background, and he's saying how his mother taught him how important it was. Uh, the, the things that you take with you on the inside really determine how your life goes. And there's a lot of truth to what he was saying. It's no, so no matter you know, who you are or where you've been, we're all, all of humanity has the same basic fundamental need. And that's, that's really the transformation of our hearts, the change of who we are on the inside 
is the most fundamental human need that exists. Every problem that exists in the world today, you know, outside of maybe natural disasters or the things that happen, is a result of things that started on the inside of a person that then manifest themselves in the life of that person or the people that they impact. And the renovation of our hearts is, um, as Dallas Willard put it, and I'll reference him later, but uh, he said the greatest need of any, any human being. And certainly that's why we want to talk. That's why Jesus spoke so much about the inside of who we are and why we're going to start this sermon series called The Invitation to Transformation. The fact is, it's not, it's not a question of if this is important, it's how do we actually change? How, how, that thing that you have in your life that you want to change, how does that happen? How does that change take place? And the good news is that, the, that Jesus made a way and he taught explicitly about the change that we all experience and that God wants for each and every one of us. And so the scriptures are full of wisdom about how to do so and help people like me and like you who struggle in our own efforts to change to become a different person when we keep making the same mistake again and again and again. So how are we going to do that? And so Jesus invites us. It's an invitation into this new kind of life, and that's kind of the idea behind what we're going to be talking about and a real felt need that we all definitely have. So I want to invite you, over the next several weeks, we're going to invite you into this transformation process. In fact, this is the heart of who we are as a church and why we started this church uh, back in 2014 is because God gave us a vision to be a place where this restoration and transformation can happen in people's lives. People who are tired, people who are struggling can find a place and, and a context and a community where real change, genuine change on the inside can happen. And so that's the hope and that's, that's the prayer and that's the dream for why we're initiating the sermon series, but it's really just a small step in a larger narrative and story that God's been doing in our community and what he wants to do, I believe, in each and every one of our lives. So um, just as uh, David wrote in the 23rd Psalm, that famous line that says, he restores my soul. And that's the idea. It's not we just talk about it, but I want to invite you. We're going to equip you, give you the resources. We're going to be sharing over the next few weeks about how you can take some next practical steps in this if this is something you're interested. So let's invite like, God's presence to help us and then I'm going to share um, from uh, the book of Romans uh, a little passage that I think would be helpful. So, Lord, thank you for, um, for your mercy in our lives. Help us view your, your mercy more clearly today as we, um, as, we, as we look at your word and as we, um, we interact with um, an idea that is, that is challenging for many, many of us. And we pray that you would do the impossible and that you would bring about transformation and formation and change in our lives in the way that you desire. So Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done in each of us. We pray that maybe someone here today specifically who, who's struggling, really uh, maybe in a relationship or there's just a, there's a pain, that, that you would, by your very presence, bring about healing just by being with you today. And um, we pray that you would open our hearts to soften our um, capacity and our, our ability to hear uh, what you have to say to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, cool. So the primary scripture we're going to look at is from the book of Romans. 
Um, and if you want, there's some Bibles. If you like the, the analog version, feel free to open that up. It's going to be Romans 12. You can see it all in one because I'm going to show it in pieces. Some people like that. I'll also show it up here. But uh, the book of Romans, it's, it's one of the most clear um, theological letters that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to the church in Rome. Um, and in, during that time, the church was living under persecution but they were also living, and part of that is they were living under pressure. And this is under, important to understand because it really applies to us in our current context. He's a, they're, they're living under pressure to conform to the way the Roman government and Roman society wants them, wants them to live, to worship the gods and goddesses and to, to worship, ultimately, Caesar, the god of Rome, uh, Rome itself, and, and the Caesars pre- presented themselves as the sons of God, the son of God. And so they're, they're, they're living in this tension between trying to declare Jesus as the king where Rome is putting pressure upon them to live a certain way. So there's political, societal, relational pressure on the church to conform to the way that the government and society want them to live. Whereas this new community that's beginning to emerge is living a distinctly different life and has a different calling. And so that might sound familiar. I don't know if you've ever felt that pressure from society on social media, in the news, in the movies that we watch, in the shows that we, we see. There's a pressure on people today to live and conform themselves to a certain way of being. And what Paul does in the first two-thirds of the letter is he lays out this beautiful picture of, of God's, God's mercy and grace, that humanity worshipped and served created things rather than the creator, and all, all fell apart from him, uh, and none of us have a place to judge others because this is, we're all in the same boat together. Uh, but God, through his grace, in the person of Jesus, came and paid the price for the sins that we have as a society, as individuals, and as a people, so that we can then have a relationship with him through his death and resurrection on the cross. And then we can live an empowered life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he talks a lot about that walking with the Spirit in chapter 8. And so he paints this big, beautiful picture uh, based on some really good, solid theology of, for the church, and it's a great resource for the church at the time, and it is for us today. But then when he gets to chapter 12, which we're going to read right now, he's, he's starting to talk a little bit more practically. Okay, so there's this great, great news. Jesus has made a way where there wasn't one in a world of brokenness and sin. Now what does that look like? What does that look for, like for us today? And Paul's going about to share what that looks like. So we, we're, we're at the beginning of chapter 12, and he's talking about how this new life should look for people who profess faith in Jesus on the emphasis of real transformation. So let's take a look. Romans 12, uh, starting in verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay, so this, just this little section here gives us some very helpful wisdom for how we can participate with God in the transformation process in each of our lives. And here, uh, in this passage, and if you look at the whole, whole piece together, there's, there's three vital components that Paul describes 
that create a context for which, by which God gives people uh, a way to be transformed into the people that he's ultimately created us to be. Okay, and then we're going to look at just briefly at those three things. And the first is, as he addressed, if you look back to the first, there we go, thank you, perfect. As he starts off, he, he talks to them as family. He says brothers and sisters. The original text there in the Greek, he just uses the word brothers, but it applies to the family of God, that we're, we're a family. So he's addressing the people as his family members here, um, and he, he designed people, God designed a community that belongs to one another, that we're not meant to live alone. We're meant to be part of something much bigger than ourselves. Not just people gathered together in the same room. No, connected relationally. And I love what Gabby had said about her experience when going to Bolivia, is that it almost felt like being with family. And that's true. It's cross-cultural. It's basically across time that we are one family, united in the person of Jesus. And Paul makes this clear. So if you go into the next uh, scripture, Romans 12, 4, Paul, this is just a couple of verses later, he says this, for each of us has one body with many members and each of the members don't have all the same functions. So in Christ, though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. So in order to change, in order for transformation to happen, we need to rely on one another. We need to, we can't just be independent like body part, you can't, uh, the hand can't exist without being attached to the wrist. I mean, the ankle, your leg doesn't function as well in your body if there's a problem in the ankle. So they all are interdependent on one another, not independent and not overly dependent, but interdependent, the parts that depend on each other and they support one another. And we saw that dynamic, we've seen that in our, in our team that went to Bolivia, we've seen that dynamic within our church and really the, the whole body of Christ, whether you're Bolivian or American or any, anyone else, the interdependence on family, God's family, is a key part of our transformation. It is the essential part of the, the context that creates an opportunity to change. See, you can't experience the fullness of God's transformation, what he has in your life, without being part of God's family. And there's a certain degree of God's grace you can experience by yourself, yes, certainly. But if you want to enter into the life of transformation, you need to be part of God's family. It'd be kind of like trying to perform surgery on yourself, like open heart surgery. I guarantee you it won't be that successful. If you can do that, well, I mean, maybe you're gonna be part of Ripley's Believe It or Not or something, but as far as I know, you can't do open heart surgery on yourself. And that's basically what we're talking about here. We're talking about the transformation of our hearts. We need others who are gifted and empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring about real change in one another. And so having other people in your life who can speak into your heart and who are empowered by the Holy Spirit with real spiritual gifts to help you is going to be the first and probably one of the most important ways to do it. You know, as Americans, we tend to think independently. Like we're a pioneering group who want to think freedom and liberty, and we kind of want to do it on our own. Um, the Depeche Mode put it back in 1990, My Own Personal Jesus. You guys remember that, that song? But it basically a song that's about, like, my personal Jesus is about filling my needs and my desires, and we have our personal, we have this idea of Jesus being this divine entity that helps us fulfill the things that we want in our own selves. It's about us instead of about something much bigger than ourselves. And practically, in our own church context, on Sunday mornings, we try to make this a priority. There's, there's more people on Sundays than there are on Sunday, but 
That's why we offer prayer. If you're here and you need prayer, if there's some need in your life, take advantage of the fact that there's people willing and able and wanting to pray for you and with you. We have hospitality after the service. Why? Because we believe that really, it's not the food that's the, the important thing. Although food is great. I love food. You love food. We all love food. But the idea is to create a context where community can happen, that we, we help one another, it helps people connect with one another. And I want to get something, and we're going to, I'm going to repeat this, but I just want to throw it out there. And on November 10th and 11th, did I get the date right, Sloan? So November 10th, 11th weekend. So we're going to have a weekend that's basically built off of, so we're doing this series now to help you prepare for however many months, five, six months in advance, for something called Transformation Weekend. And what you do is you have a, a person, a p- partner, who will support you prayerfully to help you go through the process of transformation with some very specific ways to do so, to submit those areas of your life to God. And we'll provide the teaching um, about how God's grace can inter- intercept you right where you are. But I just want to get that out there. But you, we do that together as a community with someone who cares about us so that we can be vulnerable and receive God's grace and mercy in our life. So that's coming up. And it's another reason why we're trying to pioneer a new ministry uh, called uh, the Deliverance and Inner Prayer Healing Ministry, which is a step in helping people find the transformation that they need. But we have a team of people that pray, take hours if it takes it, to just minister healing in God's grace and mercy in each people's lives. And I love, and this is part of who we are as a church. So we do that together. We need one another. Okay, so we need a family. We need God's people uh, the second thing that we see in the scripture here as part of our transformation is what, it's what we do with our physical bodies. He says this, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Okay, so that's, that's Paul's statement there. And he said, this is your true and proper worship. And there's a lot to be said here. We could say a lot about this one verse, uh, but really the one thing that we could say, at least about sacrifice, is that sacrifice does not feel good. That's, it usually feels pretty bad. So whenever I go on a missions trip to Bolivia or wherever it is I'm going, there's almost always some kind of sacrifice of time and energy and money and some kind of getting sick and inconveniencing my schedule that happens whenever you try to pursue what God's called you to do. So there's an actual physical sacrifice that you make in order to pursue God's plan for transformation in your life. You have to engage your physical body, your calendar, your time, your money, your energy. The physical things in your life are a reflection of your spiritual and proper worship that Paul says here. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul writes, he's another letter to the Corinthian church. He says something very similar, but what he's saying is that he disciplines his body like an athlete in order to train his body uh, to do what it should do. And uh, so like when you exercise, when you exercise, there should be, or usually is, some kind of exertion that happens, okay? Unless you're the guy who's like eating on the pedaling thing, eating potato chips and watching TV. This is great, I'm getting my exercise in. Usually, the more pain, the more gain. That's like the, the mantra, right? No pain, no gain. And that's true in exercise physically, but it's also true spiritually. But we engage spiritually by doing what we do with our physical bodies. In fact, this, um, this idea of dualism where the physical and the spiritual are two separate things is a Gnostic idea which is unbiblical, that we are integrated beings, that our physical and spiritual selves are one. We are one whole person. Our physical, emotional, spiritual, mental selves are one. And what we do physically 
has implications spiritually and vice versa. Our spiritual selves will impact uh, who we are. And I mean, you could, there's a lot, of, uh, <clears throat> a lot of research about that, the impact that emotions can have on our physical and spiritual selves on our physical bodies with sicknesses and whatnot. But in the same way, what Paul is inviting us to do is train ourselves physically, what we do in our physical bodies, to align with God's purposes and plans for our life. And so we need to consider the physical, tangible, fleshly part of ourselves as, the, as part of the pattern of what it means to bring transformation. And there's a distinct contrast here between what Paul's saying here, the pattern of this world, uh, and what Paul's, Paul's um, promoting and what Paul's trying to align with, where in the world we say, it's my body, I can choose to do what I want with my body, whatever I want to do. Where the self, the self-indulgence, the the pride of saying, I know what I know, what's best to do with my body, and God, you, whatever, it doesn't matter, because I'm the, I'm the master of my universe. I am the master of my body. That, that's, that's essentially pride. Saying, I can do with my body what I want to do, separate from God and his purposes for my life. And is quite the opposite pattern. This is the pattern of the world that Paul is really speaking to. And that self-justification the idea that you can do what you want and you know what's right for yourself, is that, that self-justification is probably the number one barrier to the transformation we can all experience in your lives. If you, hold, if you try to justify yourself before God, you won't be able to experience the fullness of God's grace and mercy in your life because God will let you. God will let you reject what he has for your life if you want to. He has given us that free will to do so. So why would we do this? Why would we sacrifice our own personal Jesus version of living in order to discipline our bodies? Because that doesn't always sound good. Like you might be like, discipline my body. I don't want to do that. I want to sit on the couch and do what I want. But here's the idea. It's, it all boils down to one thing. It's God's mercy. See, spiritual disciplines, what we're talking about is the disciplines of the spiritual life are a means, unlike some of the impression that we have is something some like religious person does, but the spiritual disciplines, things that we do with our body for a spiritual purpose, like prayer or fasting or worship or solitude or silence, basically the things that Jesus did himself, even though he was perfect, he did these practices. They're the things that we do with our physical bodies that help train us to become more like God. They're things that we do intentionally with our bodies that train us to do what we couldn't do otherwise, just as an athlete would train regularly and, and intentionally and specifically in order to grow in whatever their, um, their area of expertise is. And these things bring us God's grace. They are a means of God's grace and mercy in our lives that we, where we can experience more of God's love. And we do it because of God's love for us, because it draws us into his presence, not because we have to do them. And so what happens is, and Paul, if we kind of look at the implications of what he's saying here, is that on the inside... And when we change what we do with our body, every time we say no to an ungodly desire, that is an act of worship that's based in faith that makes us a little bit more like Jesus, that brings a little bit of change and transformation into our lives. And it might not feel good in the moment, but over time, those little moments add up to big change. Little changes add up to big changes, and that happens in the physical realm, it happens in any discipline that you want to become an expert in, but it also is true in our relationship with God and our spiritual selves. Let me give you an example. So for me, 
that idea that um, Ben had a sense of that with anxiety, particularly related to work, if that's something you've experienced, which I think many of us have and can relate to, that's something that I would have even when it wasn't really that stressful. For some reason, I would get really anxious often just if I had a lot to do or I felt like I wasn't doing a good job. And I've maybe shared this before if you've heard some of my um, struggles that I've shared. So I've lived with this kind of anxiety over work. And what I discovered for me, I rec- once I started recognizing this pattern and submitting to God, I started prayerfully seeking and researching what would be the best way for me, what are some disciplines that I could practice in order to counteract, to invite God's mercy and grace into this area of weakness in my life? Or this, I guess you could say, this pattern of thinking. I was conforming to the pattern of the world, the anxious way of thinking. And um, I, I quickly learned about, or actually it wasn't really quickly, but I, as I learned slowly, and then I put it into practice as quickly as I could, something called contemplative prayer. And a contemplative, simple contemplative prayer exercise, and it's really part of one of the reasons why I feel like uh, God has given this calling to our church, because it's not just me, but I think many people struggle with this. But it's simply, it's prayer that's, that's more about receiving from God than giving to God. So often in prayer, we think of prayer as, you know, I'm talking, or I'm engaging, or I'm giving something to God, or offering, or asking. But contemplative prayer is about a prayer of rest where you're engaging in the presence of God and just allowing him, instead of trying hard to love God, you're, what you're doing is you're letting God love you. And you're basically resting in his presence. And so I'll take, so what I've done is in the middle of my work day, in the busiest part of the day, I will stop my work, even though my body's like, you know, you need to get done. You have all these things to do. And this is something everyone can do. You can take a minute. Sometimes you can just take 30 seconds to a minute. Everyone has a minute. Stop, pause, invite God's presence and just rest and simply be in his presence. And that one simple thing, doing that hundreds of times and thousands of times over the course of many years, has revolutionized my approach to work. Instead of trying to work hard, I'm working out of a sense of God's abiding presence more consistently every day. So that's, for me, that's an example. And perhaps that's one thing that you can do. But you want to identify with God's grace and through some prayerful approach and self-awareness, which is important, what is an area of your life? What is something, what is that thing that God wants to change in you? And there are disciplines, practical spiritual disciplines that can shape and help you grow in that specific way. And sometimes people, relying on people, the family of God can help you. I'd be willing, if you, if you have a specific area where you want some equipping on a spiritual discipline that might help, I'd love to talk to you about that. That's, that's exciting about me. I love, I love the value and the grace that God has shown me through practicing uh, different spiritual practices. So that's, that's number two. And so let's, let's move on to the third thing that he says, and then, then we'll wrap it up. So transformation happens as we engage with God's family. It happens as we practice spiritual, this, what we do with our body, our physical bodies. We actually need to change what we do in our physical bodies. And then it happens... With, which Paul talks about very specifically with what we do with our minds. So this is an essential part. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And once our minds are renewed, then we can tell what God's perfect will is, good, pleasing, and perfect will. So our minds need to play a central role as well. In order, we need to change the thoughts, the narratives that we have that are driving our lives to the thoughts that God has. Because remember, all of, our, all of the thoughts you have in your head are not of God. 
So for example, the driving narrative for me was that I find my value by being productive and working and accomplishing things. That that was my identity and my value. And that was a narrative that was driving the way I was acting and the way I was feeling. But as my thinking changes, we submit our thoughts to God, we become, we actually change. And so we need to submit our thoughts to God. And that's called the renewing of our minds. And so the pattern of the world is simply, it's a self-indulgent, pride-driven, I'm the master of my own universe kind of thinking. That's the pattern of the world. The pattern of Jesus is self-sacrificing, humble God is the king of the universe and my universe kind of thinking. Listen to what he says in Romans 12. This is the verse between the two. He says this, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. See, humility in our thinking is really the fastest way to experience transformation and growth. Remember, the people who self-justify and think they know it all, the proverbial wisdom is that, is, is that the fools think they know everything. The fools are the know-it-alls. But the beginning of the wi- to begin wisdom is to consider yourself as someone who needs to learn and needs to grow. So we need to have the mindset of humility that, listen, I need God's mercy. I need to grow. I need, and all of us have a, or a mixed bag in that, in that regard. You know, C.S. Lewis put it this way. I thought it was a, I was just talking about this with Nick on our trip. It came to mind. But he said, I, it was a very insightful comment. You may have heard this, but it, I, I, yeah, I believe it was mere Christianity. He put it this way. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not like putting yourself down, but it's thinking of yourself less. It's a, it's a matter of focus. It's not just putting yourself down, but it's rather the focus of where we think. It's not thinking just about ourselves, but it's thinking about God and his desires and, in fact, other people. And in humility, we understand that our faith isn't perfect. So none of us. So we all are mixed. We all have different levels of faith, and God's given us different. And even the faith that we do have is a gift. If you have any amount of faith, that in itself is a gift of God ourselves. And so the key to transformation, the key to transformation is, really boils down to one thing. It's focusing on God's mercy. It's the mercy of God. Without God's mercy in our lives, intersecting our relationships, our thought life, what we do with our physical bodies, there's no transformation that's going to happen that's going to have lasting impact on our, on our lives or on our hearts. God's mercy will drive us deeper in connection with God's people. God's mercy will change our thinking. God's mercy will be the fuel by which we will sacrifice big and small things in our lives and consistently will drive us to, to change. If we're not dependent on the mercy of God instead of our own power or some other motivation, we cannot sustain change or transformation or growth to any degree. There can be short-term little initiatives, but if we're focused on the mercy of God and the grace of God in our lives, it'll bring us about the change that God desires. See, God's mercy is how we remain humble in the first place because all of us need God's mercy and each of us need it in all of our lives. And so imagine, imagine this. Think of one of the most difficult things in your life or now, whatever. Maybe it's something you want to change. But what if you saw that situation as an opportunity to see the mercy of God for you in a way that you had never seen before? Perhaps the most difficult things that we experience are opportunities for God's mercy to break through and the kingdom of God to break through in a new way. 
So here, here's, here's a, the official Dallas, obligatory Dallas Willard quote for the day, which I love. And by the way, my book recommendation is a book that he wrote called Renovation of the Heart. I mean, he spends, it's, it's incredible. It's, and so if you want, like, this is like a very miniaturized version of the series of this book. It's not based on that book, but he just has some very insightful um, commentary um, on the renovation of heart. But he says this in the, the beginning as he's kind of laying out what he's trying to do here. He says this, a carefully cultivated heart will, assisted by the grace of God, transform most of the painful situations before which others stand like helpless children saying, why? So we're most of the world when we experience pain, we say, why God? But the mercy of God and a heart that has been carefully and intentionally cultivated will bring about transformation in a way that, that most people, in fact, really don't experience. I want to, so let me give you a little summary. So if you could put that graphic up, I want to show you something. This is to help just jog your memory. This is called uh, what Willard originally uh, laid out in, in his book, uh, The Divine Conspiracy, something called the triangle of transformation. And it, what it does is it brings together the three ideas that we see in the scripture. So we see, number one, a loving, if you, this, is, this is what creates a context for transformation in our lives. If you want to see transformation, you need at least these three things. There's loving community, Right? There's a change of the way that you think about life and there's the spiritual disciplines that we practice. And then, of course, dr at the, the driving force in the midst of all of this, if you don't have it, none of it works, is the mercy and the presence of God. And so what I'd like to do is just give you this as kind of a framework or a paradigm to think about the own transformation that you have in your life. And I'd like you to, today, consider one component of this triangle are these three very clear pieces of context that Paul gives for how transformation happens and think, where, where does God want me to start? Perhaps there's, you need to be connected to, to the church family a little bit more, um, more closely, build some intimate relationship there with God's people. Or there's, there's something that God's identified, a way of thinking that needs to be dealt with and you need to think differently. That's, that's called repentance. And then the spiritual discipline, there's, there's some real practical things that you can do. And I want to share one as we close here in order to bring about the transformation God's desiring. And really, ultimately, this is not just one thing, but it's, this is, this is, we con it's kind of like a spiral. We constantly need to be intentional about developing this as a context for our lives in order for the Spirit of God to fill it and bring about the transformation. What I like to think of it as is kind of like if you picture a glass that you're drinking from that's like a triangle, a triangular, like a prism, but you're drinking water. So you can, you can create these. You can have all of these things in your life, but unless they're filled with the water, the presence of God, it's just about eating glass. So these are all helpful, you're, but unless it's filled with the presence of God, you won't be able to receive. But what it does is it gives you the ability to receive what God, what God has for you. And so here, here's how I want to conclude. Think about your daily routine, your normal life. And then those moments when you experience difficulty or pain or struggle, what you think about during the tough times in your life when the tough times come will simply be a reflection of what you've chosen to think about and meditate on during the normal times of your life. If you intentionally and daily cultivate a mindset of humility, that's the way that you're going to show up 
when you experience a difficult situation. You're going to arrive with who you are and what you've cultivated up to that point. And so you've heard people say, oh, you know, they faced a difficult situation and they acted totally out of character. Well, in fact, no, they're not. You never act out of character. You actually act out of who you are. So the idea is not to try hard in situations. It's intentionally cultivating the kind of heart that is, reflects Jesus in humility all along so that when you arrive in those places of pain, you will arrive full of God's mercy already. Psalm 1 puts it this way. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Okay, that, that's, the pattern. This is a, that's the pattern of this world. Okay, that's what Paul's talking about there. But the psalmist then goes on. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and he meditates on his law day and night. That's what he's, he's talking about there is viewing God's mercy. The focus is the mercy of God. It's seen through his, his law, his word. And that person is the tree planted by streams of water which yields fruit in season. The leaf does not wither and whatever they do prospers. And so what I want to encourage you, if you don't have a specific spiritual discipline or practice, I want to suggest one that, that I found helpful. And then I'm still actually working on this myself, but I found it to be helpful when I do. No matter what's going on, you can, you, everyone can do this because it only takes the time that it takes you to take a breath. And in fact, it's a, there's a spiritual practice, discipline, it's called breath prayer. That you can breathe it in the same amount of time, you can, you can practice it in the same amount of time it takes to say a breath. And it's called, it's an ancient prayer actually that many people in the church have practiced. Um, but it's called the Jesus prayer. And it's based on a parable that Jesus told in Luke 18 where he says there's two people who went to the, the synagogue to pray and there's a right to the Pharisee and the Pharisee said, you know, God, thank you that I'm not like this tax collector over here. I give a tenth of all I have and I pray every day and I do all these good things. And then the, the tax collector, he just couldn't even look and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, who went home justified? Well, it was the tax collector. As he asked, he knew then recognized he needed God's mercy. And so that prayer, that simple prayer, the Jesus prayer, that is often referred to, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And there's lots of variations. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or just Jesus, have mercy. It's a very simple version. It's something that you can pray right in the midst of your everyday life as you breathe. This is the lifestyle that Paul's talking about here. Which Jesus, it's a, it's a life that is reliant on the mercy of God and it's the mercy of God which drives change and transformation and it's what we're all invited into. So what we're gonna do now is we're gonna take a moment just to breathe, to rest, and allow God's presence to fill us. You have some, yeah, you can bring it up. You can bring it up now, yeah. Uh, allow God's mercy and grace to fill us and restore us. Um, and I encourage you to do some prayerful reflection on maybe one area that Paul highlights in this passage. Maybe the triangle kind of gives us just a little pictorial summary of that. But maybe there's one area where God would want to express his mercy more deeply in your life. Okay, so we're going to take a couple minutes. Just give you some space to rest, to be silent. Um, if you don't know what to do, like what's going on here, you can just relax, enjoy yourself, enjoy a moment of of quiet rest, which is something rare that many people don't get today. But, but God wants to meet us where we are. So let's pray.